Get ready for a healthy dose of controversy, where we dive into controversial topics in health, both personal and social, that many advisors, professors, and even physicians won't touch. But if you're looking for personal lessons that we've picked up through the years as fellow pre-meds, you've come to the right place for that too. Stick around and you won't be disappointed. First and foremost, I would love to thank Kylie Davenport for coming on to the show with us. She is my bestie for the Rusty. I've lived with her for five years. She's going to be an amazing nurse. It is currently at UCLA Meckins program. Kylie, would you like to introduce yourself? I don't know how an intro can get better than that, but thank you. Hi, I'm very happy to be here. I'm Kylie. I am currently a second year at UCLA School of Nursing Master's Entry Clinical Nursing Program or the Meckin Program, class of 2023. So we have like seven months left, but who's counting? And I'm just super excited to be here. My main interest right now in terms of like fields or specialties for nursing would definitely be pediatric, more specifically pediatric respiratory. And if I had to do adults, it would be oncology. But I'm also interested in pediatric oncology. Hey, thank you. That's all I got. <laughs> so we had you come on here today because of this phenomenon of hostility among nurses and certified nursing assistants, commonly referred to as nurses eating their young, which is actually a term that Kylie coined to me while we were living together. It's often seen as a rite of passage and a justification that nurses need to be initiated through trial by fire to be included on the team. And it's honestly so sad to hear that this is like an acceptable form of bullying as an initiation. Is there any thoughts, any comments just based off of that? I think that it's honestly something that a lot of people don't even realize is a thing. Like, when somebody tells you that they're in nursing school, you're kind of just like, oh my God, congrats. Like, that's awesome. Most of the time. I haven't really heard anything other than that. But nurses eating their young is very known, obviously, in the nursing community, which is just very mind-blowing to me because as a student, it's hard. Like, I can't really imagine myself being that way, like in the future. But then I, I'm thinking like those nurses that are eating their young they probably said the same thing before they became a nurse. But it, it is, it's a very common thing. It's a very known thing. The phrase nurses eat their young is something that if you told a nurse from probably anywhere, they would probably know that phrase or know something like it because it is just literally so prevalent. Every hospital I've been to for clinicals, every outpatient setting I've been to for work, like it's just like an established thing within our, our community. And it's it just like, you would never think of it, but it's so legit. It's culty legit. That's kind of shocking to me almost because for all of the clinical exposure and for all of the volunteering and the work in the various clinical fields and different specialties that I've done, it just really kind of occurs to me that obviously you're going to get a different experience when you go through different rotations at different places. So say UCLA, where you're at, that might be different from when you rotate at, say, UC Davis, which I did a stint at. So has that been an experience of yours that it's variable or does that tend to stay 
relatively consistent in your experience? It has been so consistent to the point where when I would go in every morning, like we just did our pediatric rotation for clinicals at Children's Hospital LA, CHLA, to the point where I would introduce myself because the nurses there were so, I wouldn't say anti-student, they weren't happy to have students to the point where I would introduce myself being like, hi, I'm Kylie and I'm really sorry, but I'm your student today. And I'm not the only one doing that. Like a burden. Yeah, you feel like you're a burden or you're you're kind of like, I'm so sorry for being here. And like, it sucks because this is your opportunity to learn. And for most of us, I would say the hands-on experience is where we grow and learn the most. And like, that's how we prepare ourselves most for the field that we're entering into. And like how your nurse sees you and her opinion of you as like being a student is so, I should say there, not her, because we do have an increase in male nurses, go Bruins. Anyway. <laughs> their opinion of you matters because if they hate having a student, they'll make it really known. And they'll literally like kind of leave you in the dust. Like they'll go about doing their things and like, just expect you to kind of be there trailing behind. Whereas like other nurses, the rare, beautiful exceptions to that rule will literally actively involve you. And that's when we learn the most, but consistently CHLA, UCLA, and then tomorrow at Cedars. We shall see about Cedars, but Hollenbeck is where we did my uh, geriatrics. It's like kind of a known thing where it's like a fake smile, a big wave. And then sometimes nurses are even as crazy to be like, oh, another student today, things like that. Super common. I think that I've shared that experience with everybody in my clinical group. Crazy. And our clinical groups go to different places. So, And the only thing that I could maybe think of to add on to that is when you're doing your rotations, you're going to be going through different specialties. So you are going to be encountering people who, because they're in different specialties, some of them are going to be higher stress than others. So oh, yeah. I, know you said, I know you said earlier you were interested in like pediatrics, peds oncology, maybe things along those lines. And I can definitely see that being very emotionally draining, being hard to take on at the end of the day and still be professional. So Oh yeah. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, do you think there's maybe an element of that to it? Or do you think it's just something that transcends any kind of emotional factor or anything that's particular to one specialty? I think, no, I definitely don't think it's, it's specialty based. I would more so say like when I'm trying to be empathetic to them and like what they're going through, like as somebody that has to instruct, like I know that if I was a nurse and I was asked to teach for me, I'm not very good at it. And the analogy that I always make in my own head is it's like trying to explain to a four-year-old why two plus two is four. It just is. I don't know how to explain it. Like two plus two equals four. It's the same thing for questions on how to do things or why we do those things because we just do. Like that's a very common attitude. Like that's just the way we do things like They do. And a lot of the premises of nursing is in a way very cyclical and very repetitive. We do a lot of medication administration. We do a lot of stuff with like IVs. We do a lot. We're taking care of patients and each case is different, but there are some baseline, like very standard things that we're going to be doing. And I think that after a while of just doing it, like that's just, it is what it is. So when somebody's like, oh, why are you hanging the line like that? Like the nurse is probably like, dude, because that's how you do it. Or like, Also, just the fact of 
no matter where you at, you're at peds or on or even like med surge or step down. I see, especially ICU. I've never had ICU experience. God bless those nurses. They're literally heaven sent. But any questions really slow you down. Questions or having to teach or having to explain things or like sit down and like literally physically show you how to do things. It takes so long. Yeah. I was watching a nurse, even today, I work at an infusion clinic at UCLA. We do a lot of chemo and we do uh, blood transfusion, things like that. I was watching my nurse enter an IV. And I was like, you did that so fast. It would, in the time that it took her to open up and set up her, her extension kit and things like that, prime the line, I still would have been fumbling with the package because I'm a baby. And I, and I told her that. She thought that was funny, but I was like, no, I'm, I'm dead ass. I would still be, I would be struggle city. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that it's just, it's just like so frustrating. I get frustrated for them because I don't want to get in their way and make their lives harder, but they are super busy. Like you were saying, they are super busy and us being there slows them down for sure. I think that goes back to the workload that a nurse takes on. I think Especially after the pandemic, there was a lot of need for nurses, but there was all this nurse exhaustion. I, I'm not sure what the coin term was for it, but it's burnout. It burnout, nurse burnout. It's intense the amount of patients that nurses have to take care of constantly cycling through. It does become repetitive. And I think as humans and students and pre-science professionals, we also experience Things where we're like constantly doing the same thing, we're studying, we're making our midterm preps. And even then, like when you're asked about a simple question, especially with the new students, I'm currently a second year in my master's program and I'm going through the motions. And when I'm asked a question, sometimes I'm like, oh, well, it's because of this, like you should know this. But it's like having to take a second to sort of reflect, like take a step back and understand that as newbies, former newbies, you would have had those exact same questions, sort of empathize that you're in a different stage. You're supposed to be opening the doors and leaving them open behind you so other people can come through. Yeah, that's the thing. I think what you said just now about leaving the doors open behind you, I think that's a good way to put it because the technical term for what you're describing right now, it's literally called the curse of knowledge. You're at that point where You have all of this training, this experience, this education, what have you. And it is really hard. I mean, I sympathize with that completely as well. It is hard to put yourself back in that prior mindset of, I don't know this. I'm a novice. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. I need some assistance. So from an emotional standpoint, yes, I do understand where they're coming from. But what I do have to say is that even before the pandemic, I mean, Kylie, correct me if I'm wrong, but Nowadays, from what I remember reading, nurses far and away have the most direct patient contact out of anyone on the care team. I mean, even more than physicians. So I feel like this kind of pressure and this burnout isn't something that's necessarily new. Yes, it got worse with the pandemic, but I feel like that's something that's been on their plate for so long and that's been such like a heavy cloud that's been over them. Oh my God just for such a long time that I feel that this was 
bound to either happen or maybe bound to get worse eventually. What are your thoughts on that? Oh my God. Absolutely. A hundred thousand percent correct. I always say, and there's obviously always exceptions to the rules with like the position and like just the way that things are. I would say as a current CNA, even though I'm outpatient, I still think, I still think that nurses spend more time with their patients. I don't know. And it's not a competition, obviously, but like for a hundred percent positively can tell you that nurses will spend way more time with their patients than physicians ever will. And it's just because of the nature of the, of their rules. And this is more specific to, I would say like a large corp, big, like inpatient facility, like Ronald Reagan, okay, HLA, those big hospitals where you have like teams of people, you have neurosurgery, you have orthopedic surgery, you have surgery altogether. The sad part about it is your nurses there, you have meds due. I mean, if you're an inpatient, you're in the hospital, like you have meds due. Some people have meds due every hour, Godspeed. But some people have meds due every four hours, every six hours. Some people have continuous meds that they can get at any point. Some people have, most people have continuous infusion of some kind, hydration or something like that. And nurses are responsible for, for upkeeping all of that. So going off of like burnout being a long-time issue, it is such a long-time issue actually that California, I think it's one of the only states actually that has had legislation passed to regulate their ratios because nurses were so burnt out. You're talking about, just to clarify, the ratios of patients to nurses, right? Yes. So in California, it's one nurse, if you're in regular inpatient, one nurse to, I think the max you can have is five. I've never seen a nurse with five patients. At max, I've seen four. Okay. Max. Usually it's three. And just in my experience, ICU you're regulated one to two or one to one. And sometimes you have one to one and a half. So you and a nurse split a patient. Okay. So it's based on the acuity of care, basically. Yeah, definitely. If you have like more stable patients that obviously aren't requiring like at any time we're working on eggshells, like life-saving measures might need to be initiated. You'll have like three to four of those. But like that was because nurses were so burnt out and we're like going home and the turnover rate was so high because they're going home after 12 hours of taking care of eight different people all by themselves. And that's to go without saying that not all facilities have care partners or CNAs or assistive personnel. That's not a common practice. I mean, it is, but like, it's not a guaranteed practice. Um, it's a luxury to have somebody to help you like a CNL or we call them at UCLA, we call them care partners. So nurses do a lot of the stuff that you would think is nurse assistant, like vitals, nurses would have to take the time out of their day. And before the ratios were established, they're take, doing that for eight people at a time. And it's still like that yeah. in some parts of America. California just passed that. So it's definitely been a long time coming and COVID made it so much worse. As a person who's volunteered at a numerous amount of hospitals, because I know Reagan, CHLA, Cedars, those are well-established institutions. And I've taken my time to volunteer at more rundown for more underserved communities. And I used to work really closely with nurses. I was a patient transport. I've been a volunteer at both Ronald Reagan and comparing both experiences at the rundown hospital or not as prestigious. The beat hospital. The beat hospital. <laughs> <laughs> the nurses would have 
seven patients. They had so many patients on their plate. They were so, there was constant travel nurses coming in. And I had a nurse quit on the spot while I was transporting a patient because of the intense workload. Yeah, sounds about right. I mean, even just comparing the two main hospitals that I volunteered at, which were UC Davis and then uh, Kaiser ER that was in Roseville. Anyone who's from NorCal is going to know where that is. But just comparing those two, I mean, UC Davis, kind of like it is at UCLA, I'm assuming, they had all those ancillary care members. They had that full support. So it definitely was an easier time. And like you said, as soon as you get to the ER, even if you're with a major HMO like Kaiser, which you think would be super efficient when it comes to providing care, providing a flow, it really just is so much more hectic at the end of the day. Partly, I think, is mainly due to the fact that it is the emergency department, but just the fact that there are so many patients coming in, the schedule's unpredictable. They have so many more patients scheduled at one time, kind of like you said, it wasn't unusual to see nurses with five or six patients assigned to them. And it was crazy. Even as someone who was a volunteer or just a clinical assistant, your workload definitely got increased. And it was a result of those nurses being so overburdened. So if it was that way as a volunteer, I can only imagine how it must be for you. It's just crazy because in the beat hospitals, like Leslie was saying, in hospitals that don't have enough funding or that aren't as, because, you know, like, obviously, like we can call it how it is. Like UCLA has a ton of people pouring in money to that institution all the time. But there are hospitals that aren't even actually beat. They're literally just regular hospitals. Like perfect example. I don't know how many people from the Coachella Valley are watching. Hopefully zero. But anyway. You know how like at home in Palm Springs, Leslie and I are both from Palm Springs area. Mm -hmm. Our hospital is not like this super big renowned like UC hospital. It's called Desert Regional. I feel like that's a pretty standard hospital. Like it's not, it's not UCLA. It's not UC Davis, but it's, you think of a hospital, where are you going to go? And their ratios are screwed up. They don't have, I don't think I've ever seen a nurse assistant at, at Desert Regional. Have you? No. Honestly, I, all I see is nurses, physicians, and I mean, they're even understaffed on like PTOT, a physical therapy, occupational therapy, because in smaller towns or like when you're serving smaller communities, because there's so much discrepancy and because there's so many barriers to like people obtaining education and people obtaining like degrees, you have such a small amount of people that can do what we need them to do. So like, of course, there's all these discrepancies. People aren't, aren't able to get their CNA license because it's literally $2,000 to get it. And so you have a shortage of nurses because nursing school, don't even ask me how much I've spent on that. It's just, it's a multiple things that all combine together. And that also assists and nurses burning out because like you said, there's like seven or eight patients in the ED and they're running around like a chicken with their head cut off, like just trying to calm everything and just keep everything contained. It's crazy. It's crazy. And actually, one thing I wanted to really ask you, I think this is still relevant to what we're talking about, but I think to a certain extent, considering how Leslie and I want to go either the MD or the DO route, I apologize, but I think this is kind of for our own comfort at the end of the day as well. I know that 
from what you've said, obviously, this is really pervasive with nurses, but I'm hoping to God, have any physicians ever treated you this way? Like, is it a problem with doctors the same way it is with nurses? Because I'm hoping to God not. I hope everyone can see our faces because, or like hear them because yes. hell yes. <laughs> Honestly, doctors, it's really, really hard. I've met some amazing physicians that are super kind. I work with a bunch of them right now in the infusion clinic, like literally just very nice, very approachable. I've had other doctors that I literally swore they were going to spit in my face. And the lack of respect there is because in society, we physicians are, they're very well established. They're incredibly intelligent. They've gone through other school. They've gone through the MCAT. Of course, they are to be respected. That's undeniably the facts. We respect our physicians. And we respect their judgment because you guys are going to be taught, like when you go to med school or DO school or whatever you end up doing, you get taught to think and rationalize and like critically maneuver patient care. And that's something that we're taught, but not to the degree that you guys are. At the same time, I think a lot of times, especially older doctors, that's because they're like boomers. Don't get me started on the boomers, please. A lot of the older doctors think that it's our role to serve them. And that's just simply not it. Because in healthcare, it's a super collaborative effort, super collaborative, down to like literally the patient's family. Everybody eats, everybody participates, like everybody, we all bring something to the table. The physician brings a lot of knowledge, and the physician kind of acts as, I would say, kind of like a guide because they know a lot more about like pathophysiology, they kind of know what's going on more. So they kind of, call shots, nurses then enact on those. But nurses have autonomy too. So if like the doctor, I mean, we joke about it in nursing school all the time because like July is when residents start coming to the hospital mm-hmm. and nurses or residents will write orders for like IV push lidocaine or like IV push something that you can't push IV. And then the nurse will be like, hey buddy, did you mean to write this? Because this isn't a real thing. Like this isn't, so nurses are able to like, not, if they feel like they, if the order's unsafe, like we don't have to do it, but there's a lot of doctors that will come at you and be like, you need to do what I say. Like it's an order. I ordered it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a resident that unfortunately I did over here when I was at the Kaiser ER, not going to name names, obviously not going to give any details, but name drop him. No, (laughs) I will not. I will remain professional. Start it. Start it, sis. Very basically, what happened was first year resident came in, had ordered, I can't remember what it was, but it was something very similar, uh, tried arriving at a differential. And then one of the senior nurses there who I'd become friends with, who was there for about 27 or 28 years at that point, looked it over and said, are you sure that that's correct? Are you sure that you're confident in that? First response out of his mouth was, well, I don't know. I'm just a resident. Why don't you go to med school for four years and then tell me if it's the correct diagnosis? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to need an address. <laughs> that is so grimy, crusty, dusty. Like, yes. who, he really felt insecure enough to say that. I know. I'm a resident. Trust me, to myself and the two other people who were clinical assistants there, we didn't do anything for legal purposes, but trust me, in the break room afterwards, we discussed how we wanted to punch him. Oh my God. I literally would have been like, 
I would have got my binoculars out and I would have been like, I'm looking for who you think you're talking to like that. Cause it's not me. It's not me. It's <laughs> not me. That, it's such a systemic issue. And I'm, I'm hoping with this podcast and with the, the new wave of students, we're going to foster just better work environments. And I think that leads us to our next topic about like um, civility. There's this Dr. Cynthia Clark, PhD, RN, ANEF, FAAN, just boss girl. Queen. Girl boss. <laughs> H- Hell yeah. HBIF. <laughs> HBIC. 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 Okay. Okay. Sue me. It's the first time I've heard that. <laughs> but we can make up HBIF or something else. Anyway. <laughs> An expert in fostering civility and health work environments describes incivility as behaviors that are directed towards another person, which are rude, disruptive, intimidating, undesirable. And these behaviors may be expressed in numerous ways. And while some expressions are passive and subtle with an undercurrent of negativity, others are blatant displays of contempt. And I think coining that term then addresses the civility that she wants in different working environments. We're here to facilitate collaboration. Like you said, Kylie, we're here to bring something to the table. No one's less than or more than each other. And I think having testaments from nurses and different parts of the team is just a true testament of what's wrong with the way that things are and hopefully moving towards better and healthy work environments. There's this night charge nurse that I'll quote her. She said that the day charge nurse decided she didn't like me and found every single thing I messed up on. And instead of telling me about it, she reported it to the director of nursing services and she never once offered to help me. And the director of nursing services never called her on it. So testaments and comments like this and stories like yours and this charge nurse just expressing the incivility of how the nursing world works, how healthcare works, how medicine is going to be and hopefully remains in the past. And I guess hearing a little bit about what you said about your personal stories on on the floor, what do we think about this poor charge nurse? Oh my God. Aside from that sucks. Uh, yeah, that does suck. Sorry, sis. That's, that's tough. But I'm not surprised by it, which really sucks. But I really like what you mentioned, Leslie, with like our upcoming generations. Even in the cohort that I'm in right now, they're advocates for themselves and they're advocates for their patients. And I just, I really don't see the people that I go to school with right now ever putting up with shit like that. And I think that it needs to happen. But what happens with like, in the charge nurses cases, I feel like people, I would have to hear more, but obviously like she would have to have gone and advocated for herself at that point because she's getting reported. Whereas like, I feel if that charge nurse had come up to her and, and like talked about those issues, like she said, like, I feel like a lot, she would have been able to advocate for herself and a lot less of these issues that we experience. Like, I feel like this is very common. A lot of the nursing world can be very catty, very catty. Doesn't matter who it is. Nurses that have been there for two months, nurses that have been there for two years, nurses that have been there for two decades. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it just is that way. But I feel if she had the opportunity to advocate for herself, 
that civility, like that newfound ability to advocate for yourself, I really think is going to help with the civility of the the workplace and the civility of healthcare. But I think that it's going to be our generation to do that because obviously older generations are not going to. That's just not their practice. But I think that the civility of the work environment is something that we as like an age group and we as a generation are going to have to actually work really hard to civilize really and make what fairness and equity and compassion because I feel like we've lost it along the way with each other, especially. I definitely, I think that's pretty much a perfect sum up because one thing that I was going to ask originally, but what you've just said kind of switched it up entirely was that in my experience, one time, so obviously this isn't representative of everyone. I feel like one of the reputations that nurses can get, especially based on this one case that I had, was that some of the toughest nurses are some of the ones that come across as cold or domineering or any of the negative attributes that you've talked about. They're the ones that supposedly at the end of the day are the most protective of their patients, they're most caring, et cetera. And on one hand, the thing is, I suppose that can be true. But on the other hand, just like you said, at least to me, that sounds like it's questionable at best, if not definitely dubious and misleading. What What's your thought? It's just like, obviously, people have different personalities. And that is what makes the world go round. And people's personalities play an, like, an exclusive role in how they provide care for patients. That's why, as nurses, some of us, like, the same group of nurses can have the same patient. Like each of us can deal with them and have a totally different opinion. Like some patients that I totally vibe with, other nurses are like, I don't know how you talk to them because they've given me hell all day. And vice versa. Some patients I don't vibe with at all. And that's fine. But you don't have to be aggressive and you don't have to be off-putting and almost like try to intimidate other nurses. I feel to show that you care about your patients, I should say. I should finish that thought. You don't have to be, but they are. There are nurses that you're so right. Like they are like that. They'll be like, oh, I'm just doing what I think is best for the patient. Like I'm advocating for my patient. Like they're totally fine. Go off, do your thing. I just, oh my God. I see it all the time, honestly. I work with a couple of people that are kind of like that, where they're kind of like rough around the edges. And you're kind of like, do you like me? Do you not like me? It kind of makes it hard to like, to gauge almost. Yeah. That also is something that hinders the civility, the workplace environment, because you have people that like, oh, that's just how she is, or that's how they are. But why? Yeah. Why are they like that? And when you tolerate that, the behavior continues. It's just uncomfortable for everybody. And it doesn't aid in the progression of the unit at all. Yeah, definitely. Not to mention the fact that I'm just putting myself in that situation, but if I were in that kind of environment that I knew day after day was going to have that kind of working relationship that was going to be, for lack of a better word, toxic in that regard, I sure as hell wouldn't look forward to coming into work every day at that point. So, And then guess what? You wouldn't go. And that's the problem too. It's like when you have toxic work environment, you don't want to go somewhere where somebody makes you feel awkward and unwanted and like a burden all day or like, like you're less than, I feel like a lot of times that, that attitude that we've described of like being like an advocate, but like being like rough around the edges, like a lot of times those people make you feel like you're less than, like you're not important. 
you don't want to go work with somebody like that. You dread it. And then eventually, honestly, you dread it so much, you just don't go. And that's why turnover rates happen. That's why they're high. Because if you're working in an environment that's toxic, like you're done. You're not going to go. Yeah, absolutely. And as a result of that, what we've seen is that a lot of facility leaders, I don't know if it's the same at UCLA, but they've been desperate to recruit staff at multiple points across the nation. But if we continue to ignore the effects of this kind of incivility, it's just going to keep perpetuating the same problem and it's just going to become this vicious cycle. We're going to find it difficult to retain the staff that we recruit. It's going to be like going to work for Gordon Ramsay in a kitchen. He can be entertaining. He can be a fantastic chef, have however many Michelin stars. But at the end of the day, you work in an environment where you get called a donkey every day. It's going to wear and tear on you. Exactly. It's also just like, when you have somebody calling you an idiot every day, you're like, dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm stupid. I don't know what I'm doing. But girl, (laughs) you feel so insignificant and just, oh my God. It's like, especially as a student, as a student, you just are professionally stupid. Every question you ask is stupid. And every time you fumble or like, if, even if you like mishandle something, you're stupid. Well, of course. I mean, I don't know if it's the same thing with nursing school, but from what I've heard time and time again, at least with med school, you graduate from your preclinical years. That doesn't really 100% prepare you for your clinical years. Not oh, at no. all. I don't know if it's the same with nursing. Nursing actually has, we have our own residency. Mm-hmm. it's hospital-based. Not all hospitals have them, but a lot of hospitals offer like a nursing residency ranges from like weeks to months to a year. And it's literally where they just like take people that have newly graduated and are getting their first nursing job. And it like you are paired with a preceptor and you basically, you have more authority because you are an RN, but you're being taught the ropes from someone who's been there. But yeah, you're the entire residency I'm sure I'll let you know, but the entire, like my friend Valerie is currently in her residency. And she was like, she told me that a patient asked her a question and she almost told them like, Oh, let me go ask the nurse. And she was like, I am the nurse. Like, (laughs) you don't know anything. (laughs) You kind of just like, same thing with med school. I'm sure like you'll go in and you'll be like, okay, like I've heard about a UTI before. If you're dealing with someone with a UTI, like, okay, I've heard of that. Okay. Now what? (laughs) like it's like you blank like oh my god it's so hard and then like when you're made to feel stupid like you kind of like err on the side of caution so then you're like being cautious in the work that you're doing so then you take even longer to do what you're doing and then they hate you even more that's the vibe that is the vibe. got it so basically comes down to what we've been saying this whole time that you're not going to want to work in a place where you're belittled you're unwelcome you're alienated you know take your pick of synonyms Oh my God, no. I literally would rather die than like go somewhere where I, I like, I felt like everything I did was just wrong and stupid and I wouldn't go. I would switch hospitals or something. Like, I don't think I could do it. Some people put up with it and I like applaud them for it because they care about people more than they care about their work environment. But it's a no for me. You got to like what you do and you got to love where you are. Well, of course. And like you said, caring about people more than about yourself, in theory, yes, that sounds great. But 
you got to take care of yourself before you can care for anyone else. So you have to, I think, keep that in mind. I also think that when people don't take care of themselves, they're also, they tend to be the ones that are a little bit more angry and take away from that civility on the unit. Like they're so angry and upset and tired because they're just like doing everything except doing the things that they need to do for themselves. And so like, they're just very angry, toxic, like frustrated at the world kind of vibe, which I've noticed a lot. There's always at least one. I wouldn't call them Karens. I don't know what they're called, but they're pretty, like, they're like nursing parents and there's always one. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this and that hurts your feelings, you're probably the one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, just out of curiosity, what age range do they normally tend to fall into? If you had to guess. Baby, you already know. You already know they're like 40, 50. <laughs> okay. Because after a certain point, they tend to go from a Karen into what's normally known as a Gertrude. Oh my God, not the Gertrude. Gertrudes are very interesting because you don't even have to describe a Gertrude to me and I know exactly who you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you probably know who I'm talking about then. When they're, think about it, when they're really young, they're named either Kaylee, Maylee, something like that. Something with an L-I, L-I-E-H, something like that. (laughs) Kylie. (laughs) No, not Kylie. Not (laughs) Kylie. No, no. You're the exception. No, those are the nurses. Like the baby nurses are the ones with like their hair is down. They got figs. They got clothes on or hocus. Hocus is a new thing right now. Lash extensions. Bro, they have the glasses with the side, like because with COVID. Yeah. Like they buy the ones on Amazon that have the shield on the side so that they don't have to wear a face shield. Love and they're that. cute. They're cute. I don't have them yet, but they're cute. I'll buy them probably. <laughs> then they go Karen. Then they go Karen. Well, Karen, and they're well, like no, no, technically they go Becky. Then they go Karen. Oh then my they god, go Becky! I love Becky. Becky's kind of like a Tuesday to me. Like I don't, she's not memorable. She's kind of just there. She's been there like five years. Like good for her, but like she's not like old yet. She's just a sturdy. Like she's like she's established in her nursing career. That's a Becky. Becky's like she's okay. Becky still has the energy and like the young youth nurse like to go buy food at the cafeteria as opposed to bringing her homemade lunch. That's Becky. Oh my God. Okay. okay. Let's propose some solutions for Becky, Gertrude, Karen. Yeah. So other than doing what we're doing right here, which is trying to spread awareness, have more of an open dialogue surrounding this and not make eating your young such a controversial topic, even though it sounds like it oh, should yeah. be. I don't even think it should be controversial because like, it's all about human kindness. At the end of the day, whether you're a nurse, you're a physician, you're a CNA, you're whatever, if you're in healthcare, you're there to help people, period. And if you're not in the healthcare field for that reason, respectfully leave. Unless you're doing research, you're allowed to save for that. But <laughs> just close the door. On the way out, please. I was going to say close the door. And usually there is a separate institution for that. So like move next door. Yeah, go go to your research. That's totally fine. Thank you for doing that. We need more people like that. But like if you're in healthcare and you're you're dealing with patients like to any degree, don't have a stank ass attitude. That's literally dingy. You're gross. And so that's what we need to work on for sure. So in other words, just I know there are more specific steps to it than this, but maybe you can elucidate on it. Just model civility and focus on providing that kind of welcoming environment. And I know it's really hard. And I think that a lot of times, like what we were talking about earlier with 
the curse of knowledge. It can be really frustrating to be kind and warm when you're already stressed. You're already, a lot of nurses are already burnt out. Like, and then they have all this going on and I totally get it. But like, we have to do something about it. And I think that talking about it is a really good first step. But I think also doing something like unit wide, like not a social, because that's kind of like, but something where the baby nurses or whoever's coming in, like new people can actually talk and like kind of humanize one another and like bond to some degree. Like, because again, we're all supposed to be here because we want to help other people. I think that if we all had something that we could just like bond over, like break room lunch or something like that to where we kind of humanize and like understand one another a little bit more instead of like categorizing like she is the RN and you are a baby nurse. And so therefore you're stupid or therefore you're going to ask stupid questions. You're annoying. I think that like we have to talk about it, but we also have to be about it. So basically avoiding really what you alluded to earlier quite nicely, I have to add, which is not falling into that antiquated hierarchical model that I think a lot of the older generations have fallen into. Yeah, no, you can't, can't have Becky, Gertrude and Karen and Katie. No, (laughs) there has to be one unit. Becky, Gertrude, Katie, all of the above can be there for sure. Where we lose civility is when we have the facade that we're having a common goal, but then have like individualistic intents in mind. When you start thinking selfishly to the point where like this person is bothering you because they're trying to learn, you have a problem and the civility decreases as a result. That's very well said. Thank you. Like, I think that we all have to take the time and consciously think about what part we're playing in this. And like, as nurses, unless Becky wants to be a nurse forever, because by not teaching us, Becky's going to be a Gertrude real quick because she can't go anywhere because she's not going to have a nurse that's trained. You want to teach those nurses because they're taking over for you. So you can go camp in your 40-foot motorhome with your husband or whatever <laughs> you're going to do. You'd be surprised what they say. Although I, I do have to say, as the only guy in this conversation, I cannot imagine that kind of person attracting any guy, at least not a guy oh. like me. <laughs> Dude, I literally think about this all the time. Like, I'll see somebody. I'm not even going to name drop, but we have a TA. She got a huge rock. She got a huge rock, okay? She's a nurse. She's so rude, but she wants to be like an educator, like a nurse educator. Don't even know how or why she thinks that because like she's so rude. But anyway, like she doesn't even like questions. Like we ask questions, she rolls her eyes. Anyway, but I'm like, who would marry her? Who did it? (laughs) Sorry, if you're... She's not going to listen, so it's fine. But like, who did that? Who enabled that behavior? And I'm glad that the Karens and the Beckys and Gertrudes are listening because I think that the solutions outlined were really helpful. And hopefully everyone focuses on just providing welcoming environments wherever they go. And before we do close out this podcast, I do want to do an SOS at Amber Alert for Kylie Davenport's dogs, Mm -hmm. Apollo and Arlo. They are the best dogs in the world. And we're going to be putting out a post. She has been looking for them for the past three months and they're her babies. They are the best things in the world. So hopefully by sort of continuously putting them out there and manifesting their return, 
they will come to us. And whoever is listening, I hope that they sort of register their beautiful faces and we can bring them back home to Kylie. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you plugging them. But Leslie, behind the scenes has been amazing and has been really, really helpful in helping me try to find them. But it's been a really miserable three months. I don't think I've ever been in as poor of mental health in my entire life. So I really appreciate any and all help to hopefully bring them home to their mommy because I miss them and literally am lost without them. So thank you for plugging them. Well, that's it for this episode of A Healthy Dose of Controversy. Be sure to sign up for our mailing list at ahealthydoc.com. Follow us on Instagram and You know, while you're at it, on your phone, on your tablet, or on your computer, drop us both a review and a subscription in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our next episode. Again, we're Zaid Hindi and Leslie Contreras, and remember to ask yourself, if it's not controversial, is it really conversation-worthy? Take care.